it was, a, I had a mature moment on, on Saturday. Okay. <laughs> well, we've talked about Mexican village in the past. Yeah. Um, I had a friend in town who wanted to get Mexican food and I was like, this is perfect. We're going to Mexican village. Um, so we go, his name's Holland. Um, Cameron came, who's also been mentioned on the podcast. Cameron is a movie historian genius who claimed that in the fast and furious saga, that the rock is the Jesus figure yeah. who, who comes in in, in episode five. So we were all going to dinner Saturday night. We go to Mexican village and they had a private event. So we had to scramble. We had to go somewhere else. The whole restaurant was yeah. booked out. Okay. Yeah. 50th birthday party. <laughs> it looked electric, <laughs> but we People were dancing. Oh my gosh. But we weren't invited. So we had to, yeah. we had to scramble. We went to this other Mexican restaurant down the street and um, completely empty. Kind of felt like a spring break Cancun inspired restaurant. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really proud of us because we sat down, chips and salsa came to the table. And after about two minutes, we were like, this is too loud. We have to leave. Really? And it's the and first time in my adult life that I've sat in a restaurant and I'm like, this is not going to work. Wow. We got up and left. I've done that at bars. I've never done that at a restaurant, but I've done it for the exact same reason. It's too loud. It's too loud. I've got yeah. a friend in from out of town. I'd love to hear what's going on in his life. Yeah. Can't hear him. What's the deal with loud places? Like, I've, I don't want to, I think the easy thing that people will point out is, oh, you're getting old. You know, those loud noises. No, no there's something else. Nightclubs are not for conversations. You would prefer that the people that you club with, you can't hear them. You're trying to be fucked up. Maybe get laid. It's just a, it's just a getting laid drinking environment. For it's people not who about can't talking. Talk. It's for people who can't talk. That's what clubbing is. Mm. It's for people who like social life. Don't conversate. Yes. And, uh, you know, I put myself in that category. I let my dance uh -huh. moves <laughs> do the talking. <laughs> I, I'm a man who communicates through my body. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's just another way of saying stupid. <laughs> I communicate with my body. Real vibes-based kind of communicator. <laughs> no, I think you're right. So it's, it's, it, it is that then. It's just people who want to drink and get fucked up and not talk, basically. Yeah, yes. Hmm. And so, like, I, I understand it more in a clubbing perspective, but when you mix it with a Mexican restaurant, I'm trying to have a meal hang out with uh, friends, old friends. We got a lot to say to each other. Can't hear them. We had to leave. So we went to a third restaurant. Line was too long. We went to a fourth restaurant. That worked out. No way. You guys went to four places? It was a four restaurant I evening. Up. I would have given up after the second place, probably. I would have just been yeah. like, oh, let's go, I don't know, eat some fast food or go to like a taco truck or I something. Don't, I don't think that we wanted the, the club atmosphere of the second restaurant to kill our morale. Yeah. We, that could not defeat us. That's good. So we went to another place, Woon, which I'm excited about, but it's, it was too crowded. What is it called? Woon. Woon. I've never heard of it. It's a dumpling place. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. But then too crowded, too crowded. Then we went to a El Salvadorian restaurant that was dead quiet. It was good. Delicious. Oh, sweet. Okay. It was perfect. What'd you order? Do you remember? Yeah, I got carne asada and it was just, it was a uh, one piece of meat. You know, normally you hear carne asada and it's chopped up. Sliced up. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was a one flat piece of paper of steak. Oh, like a, yeah. Okay, cool. Like it was a, great. Like a steak mm -hmm. situation. That's cool. 
So we oh, did that. That's a that's a whole adventure. I like that. Yeah. That's cool that you guys um you didn't give up and you tried to find the right place for yourselves because mm-hmm. it's better to try a few times than to eat at the shitty place and yes. have a bad experience. I'm the same way with looking up restaurants where I've taught myself over the years that it's okay to spend maybe, you know, like 30 minutes or so online scrolling through stuff and finding the menu that looks right or finding the food place that looks right. Because if you just spend that a little bit of time, you don't even have to spend half an hour. You could just spend like 15, 20. It feels like forever though. It does. When you're looking for the restaurant. It's right. It's a lot of pressure, not Mm -hmm. because of you, but because there's people around you. Yep. And you're like, time's ticking. Time is ticking. I I don't know if if they're down to find the right place. Maybe they just want to eat. You you feel this weight of wasting people's time. Yeah. And uh, I'm thrilled that we persevered and and we enjoyed the fourth restaurant that we attempted. I did that with um, a couple of years ago when my mom visited. Uh Uh-huh. I didn't really know where to take her. I was kind of new to LA, I guess, but uh, we went to Venice. We walked around and it was cool. But after that, we, I had to figure out a restaurant to take her to. Also, she's a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And so I had to find a place that was vegetarian that also she would be okay eating mm-hmm. at, you know, like, you know, parents are, they can be kind of, they, they say they like everything, but they're picky in a weird way. Yep. And uh, they like chain food, which I guess I do too sometimes, like chain yeah. restaurants, but there's a guarantee. There's a there's just a moment where we're sitting in my car. It's dark. The sun has gone down. Yes. We're in Venice. The freaks are out. The freaks are out. You know? And I don't want to be sitting there. In it's a, like a ticking. You can just hear the clock tick. I, I, I parked in a shitty area, too, because it was free. It's I just a parked. ticking time bomb of you being a bad son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm scrolling through the phone. And, you know, obviously, she's like, we can eat anywhere. And I'm like, no, mm. we're going to eat at a good place. We can eat anywhere as long as I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if you're happy. <laughs> okay. I want to eat at a good place. Um, but I also know like if I, if I find the right place then it's going to matter for her too, like she'll be happy as well. But I scrolled, I was scrolling for like, I I don't know if it it felt like a lifetime that I was scrolling for. I finally found a spot. We got there at a reasonable time for dinner. Mm -hmm. We ate there and it was really good. What a, it's it like was, a successful mission. It was crazy. I was yeah. so surprised. It was a restaurant I'd never been to as well. Cause I don't go to the West side very often. Right. And, um, it feels good, dude. When you, when you get it right. It does. It, you're accomplishing a mission. Yeah. And it's a high pressure situation. Thr- the, the food was perfect. It was like exactly what she would have wanted to eat. You know, it was like a, fa- it was a better version of Olive Garden. I mean, dude, that's, that's when you find that for a parent, that's perfect. When your parents are eating with you and you find a good version of Olive Garden, your mom is in there like, this might even be better than Olive Garden. Dude, that's the biggest <laughs> compliment that a parent can give. Food is such a <laughs> tricky thing because it's like, if we fuck this up for too long, is someone in the group going to snap? Yeah. Has someone not been fed for too long now? Mm-hmm. Is someone going to have a complete mental breakdown? But if, that's my thing. It's like, well, why don't they try then why don't they suggest a thing if if you're the person that's about to snap you got to suggest the place and be like let's all go to this this will be good i don't think you want to snap i want to you want to believe that you've got it together yeah and it doesn't really matter but i mean before you're about to snap you should yeah if you know you're about to be that person it's already too late though oh okay you know it just comes out of nowhere i'm I'm about to snap in five minutes like we're not going to be able to get seated and (sighs) <laughs> yeah, I know what you. I don't want to snap. No, 
my, you know. I just, I just need to eat some food. <laughs> I don't give a fuck anymore. Let's just eat some food. Let's go to the 7-Eleven. Who cares? Yeah. Let's Who cares? <laughs> There's a place right there. Let's go there. I don't care if you're in town for the first time in a year. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm hungry now. Yeah. I need a complete cookie. I need a protein cookie from 7-Eleven. <laughs> I don't care about how you're doing anymore either. Nothing matters to me. I'm Go hungry. Home. I'm taking you to LAX. <laughs> I'm driving you there now. That didn't happen. You know, of course we ate food and then. That's Holland, awesome. Holland's in town um, because he had a movie premiere. He directed a documentary about Little Brother. It's a hip hop group from North Carolina. Cool. From Durham specifically. Um, so it was great. It was awesome. I saw the premiere Sunday. It was incredible. Um, so how did he uh, get his premiere f- uh, shown here in LA? Like I'm assuming that it had to go through some rounds of being shown like maybe in North Carolina and other places. And then Yeah, they're finally. on a mini tour cool. of sorts. Um, yeah, they're going around cities. They're going to end in North Carolina. Um, but Little Brother... Came out with an album in 2019, but they were prominent in like the early 2000s. They're famous enough where if they come out with a documentary, they can do their own independent tour. Is your your friends just connected with them or are they in yeah. the group? No, he's he's just a a guy who did the doc. He directed it and he's directed, you know, something called Rap Portraits, which is interviewing and uh, doing a documentary with rappers on a, on a smaller scale. Okay. So he was well well qualified for this project. Did you watch the Kanye documentary? I did not. Okay. There's his, one of his friends is the documentarian for that movie. I forget his name. Okay. Um, but we don't have to talk about it. I'll cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping you had more information about no, it. No, I'm sorry. Because then it would jog my memory. <laughs> I, I couldn't run with that. I, I never saw it. That's probably a good like note for podcasting in the future. Don't bring something up if you expect the other person to like pick up you, the you ball. You like, gave me an alley-oop and have I'm like, seen, I can't jump that high. <laughs> have you seen this? And you're like, no, tell me about it. I can't. I was hoping you were going to tell me about it. <laughs> That's why I brought it up. No. <laughs> Cool. Um, welcome to Perfect Politics. I'm Milan Patel. And I'm Sam Lindsay. I, I tried to be more like upbeat this time when I said it, because last week I was watching the video and I, I kind of like had a song like, welcome to Perfect Politics. I was a little subdued. I was. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to be a little bit more upbeat this week. Okay. Um, but this is the podcast where we talk about heist movies and the news. Mm-hmm. So this... This uh, week we watched a 20, what year are we on? 2019 movie? It's 2019 movie. We watched a 2019 movie, yeah. one of my favorite movies, Uncut Gems. Yeah. A movie that bothers me. A movie that bothers, but that's kind of why we watched it because I really like it and you kind of have issues with it. So yeah. I thought it would be a good um, movie for us to watch. I agree. This was a good movie for us to watch. We agree a lot. We do. Yeah. And I think that's good. <clears throat> but sometimes it's good to talk about stuff that we don't agree on. It is. Yeah. It creates a rift in our friendship and, uh, our relationship as podcasters, but it's important to, I think this is ironing, uh, iron sharpening iron. That's true. Th- yeah. This is us, uh, expanding our consciousness, which is the slogan of our podcast that yes. we don't say very often, but iron no. sharpens iron. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're a longtime listener, you know, the slogan. Yeah. So uh, a quick, 
a quick synopsis of the movie is it's uh, Adam Sandler is the star of the movie. He's a degenerate gambler and he basically borrows uh, from people and his friends, his family, basically everybody in his uh, social circle to feed his gambling addiction. He owes a lot of people money. He works in the jewelry district in uh, New York and he's kind of going through this midlife crisis where he's gambling a lot. He's having an affair with a younger woman, even though he's married and has three kids. Um, and it's kind of a story about him not just dealing with the gambling, but he also like acquires this precious gem yeah. from uh, a mine in Ethiopia that he kind of makes a deal for. And it's about him selling this, uh, selling this gem basically yeah. in order to potentially pay off his debts. But the truth is he ends up kind of gambling that money away. Yeah. Watching it this time made me realize that he has no intention of ever paying anybody back He's the worst guy ever. He's the worst guy ever, yeah. And he sucks so bad that the way he's living his life right now had to have started recently. I mean, like, this type of self-destruction is not sustainable. I agree. I think we noticed that because, and I always, I've seen this movie maybe this is my fifth time watching the movie. Okay. I really like it. But he has a nice house. Yeah. Uh, he has a nice apartment that he potentially owns in New York. So yes. he has two places. He has a family that's doing fine. It's yep. not like they're on the brink of poverty or anything. Um, and he has a business that seems to be running smoothly he has for the a, most part. Plenty of employees, seemingly a successful business. Every, like, he's a multimillionaire. Yeah. And um, the big debt that he is in is a hundred grand to his brother-in-law. And that just infuriates me. But I understand that it's just money that he never plans on paying back. Yeah. And so it's not about his capacity to pay the money back it's about how much of a scumbag he is it is because even though it's like this relatively small amount of money of a hundred grand that's ruining his life because basically what happens in the movie is uh his brother-in-law arno hires goons to get the money back uh from him from howard but the thing is like you said he owes a bunch of people a lot of money I yeah mean, he owes 30 grands to this to this bookie 25 grand over here he yeah. borrows necklaces and other jewelry from other yes. people uh and basically uses that money to get cash so that he can place on bets he owes a lot of people a lot of money yeah the movie starts out he places a forty thousand dollar parlay with a guy who owns a restaurant which this is his, his I, bookie is just a guy who yeah. owns a restaurant and who looks like a successful bookie, but like I, I like gambling and the reality of expecting a seven million dollar payout from just some guy is so preposterous and absurd. Yeah, the bookie might take the real this bet. So basically, this parlay, the payoff is so high that the bookie might still take the the bet from this guy, but for Adam Sandler character to think he would actually get paid out for it is ridiculous. Is right. that what you're saying? I, I, mm, I think this would get rejected by every independent <laughs> bookie in the world. Yeah. Um, you Also, you gamble, you do sports gambling yeah. on a pretty frequent basis. I don't gamble at yeah. all, really. Mm -hmm. So you know more about this than I do. I One of the reasons I never, I didn't like this movie the first time I watched it is the anxiety in the movie doesn't feel connected to gambling. But now watching it this time, I realize that like gambling is just his addiction. Like this guy is just a horribly 
addicted, sick man, and gambling is his drug. Yeah. He doesn't drink. He doesn't do anything else, which I think is cool to have an addiction story about gambling. It's more exciting than a guy that's just an alcoholic or whatever. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because stuff's happening. Things are happening. <laughs> yeah. It's the only addiction where it's like, oh, I might win $7 million. Yeah. Where your life might change. Yeah. <laughs> for the better. It's the only addiction where things could get better. Yeah. Yeah. And so he does win this bet. But because he's in debt to so many people, the goons that have been hired to take this hundred grand back, they called off the bet. They're like, you're yeah. not going to gamble 40 grand. You owe us a hundred. That's grand. our money. Yeah. That's our money. So this perfect bet doesn't go through. Yeah. And then he's, he's still chasing the next bet. He's still scamming people. And he gets this opal, which he claims is worth a million dollars. could solve all of his problems, but he just can't, he can't, can't get the right together. thing. Yeah. It's, it's a movie about, um, relationships and people using each other. So like you're saying the stress doesn't come from gambling, but it does come from his relationships. I think. Yeah. Everybody around him is a hustler. He's a hustler. He's put him, he surrounded himself in a world where people are constantly lying to each other and giving like half truths all the time. Yeah. To even do business with him in the first place, you've got to be a huckster yourself. Yeah. You know he's going to fuck you over. You just got to fuck him over first. So they're all playing this yeah. similar game. He just happens to be the, the big boss. He seems to kind of be the best of, uh, of all of them because yeah. he has this weird charm. Or, or the most sick. He's the most sick, but yeah. he, he's magnetic. Like he, people are, are drawn to him Yeah, because if you're really that lame of a person, there's no reason anybody would even associate themselves with you. No, there's other diamond, there's other, uh, jewelry salesmen in New York and there's mm. other rich guys and stuff. You don't have to be attached to this, but he's the, he's the shark that all these other fish are kind of yeah. swimming around. That's why I feel like if you get a prequel to this story, maybe you show him five years earlier, he's a buttoned up character. I think so, yeah. Who's doing real business and he's not fucking people over because it's not sustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable. You can't, I, I just don't see how he would have all the assets that he has with being this type of guy forever, you know? Right, one of the things in his lore is that he invented this type of Furby chain. Yeah. That's that's cute. That's incredible. That's nice, yeah. He's he, a creative. He used to work on music videos yeah. uh, with like rappers and other people and like he's a cre yeah, he's a creative. <laughs> <laughs> he creates um incredibly tacky jewelry, but yeah. that still means he's creative. So right. he he built his business off of something real, I guess. And then something in his life went wrong and he started borrowing money that he would never pay back. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's, uh, that's why I like the movie is because I like this idea of this guy who's, he's never going to get better. Yeah. He's always going to, you kind of know inevitably that he's always going to make the wrong decision because mm -hmm. at the end or close to the end of the movie, he, after all this shit, he gets beat up a couple times. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he, the, the bet that you were talking about gets canceled and all that. He finally gets to sell his opal to Ke Kevin Garnett. Yeah, after fucking it up multiple times. After messing it up, yeah. Kevin Garnett walks into his store with the cash and is like, I want this so so badly. And he could have just sold it then and there, but he doesn't do it. And then it goes to the auction, which he fucks up too. And he has another family member buy the opal, who he also plans on never paying back. Yeah, he he offers him a twenty percent interest on the right. opal, which which translates to forty k basically. Right. He's like, please bid against Kevin Garnett for this opal. Yeah, it he'll buy it, 
and you'll just run up the price. And if you end up having it, then I'll buy it back from you with interest. And that like, he'll never pay that man back. No. And he knows that in his brain. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then he ends up taking it from his family member, taking this Opal and still selling it to Kevin Garnett for less than would have been sold at the auction yeah. or previously. It's yeah. just, it's such a disaster. Yeah. It makes me so upset. And then, and then when he finally, you, you get a little bit of like respite as an audience member, you get to see him finally make this deal and you're like, okay, finally, at least he, at least he did one thing semi-correctly. And then there's a turn where he like, he's like, let's bet on this. Like he let's bet on the game tonight. Yeah. And then he decides to make another bet with the money that he so that he arduously like had to like cobble yeah. together. <laughs> yes. Um, that's maybe my favorite part of the movie is him making that decision because it's like everybody it's like a collective groan in the audience that's like dude yeah like <laughs> you fucked up so many times like yeah. you you almost have a chance to get out mm -hmm. but I, I that's why i like the movie because he's super lucky in the movie in a lot of ways mm -hmm. the only the only things that are going wrong in his life are the things that he decides to go wrong basically when he makes bad yeah. decisions right but other than that he's lucky he wins all of his he wins all of his parlays he always wins. That's he always like, wins. That's, yeah. that's another reason why the gambling doesn't really resonate with me is his life is in such shambles. Mm -hmm. Everything is so fucked and he keeps winning. Yeah. Like the things do work but out. I don't, I don't think the movie would work if he wasn't winning though. I think well, the I, movie I, would be over immediately. I think the character wouldn't be interesting either. Like I like this idea of this guy who does, he doesn't deserve to win. No. But he keeps winning for some reason. Right. It's not realistic even, but I like that he wins because everything that gets messed up is his fault. Yeah. Um, should we talk about, we, we made a parlay bet. That's right. We did a perfect politics parlay last night. Can you explain a parlay? Yeah. A parlay is a bet where you uh, choose multiple things to happen and you connect them. So if you do a three-way parlay, you know what, actually we'll just explain the perfect politics parlay that we did last night. Yeah. And shout out to Dylan Sabiza who joined the Perfect Politics Parlay. He gambled with us. On oh, he that. did. Cool. He did. He joined us. On Sweet. That. Uh, we bet for the Clippers to win last night. It was a. Uh, we watched some tournament basketball last night. Yeah. Not playoff basketball. No, it's like called tournament. It Tur was in season tournament play. It's called Western Tournament Group B tournament basketball. My favorite group <laughs> in the in season NBA tournament. West gonna, Group B. West Group B. We're going to get shirts that say West Group B. <laughs> In-season tournament. West In Group B. <laughs> the lamest sports <laughs> t-shirts. So uh, first thing, I, I we got lucky with this parlay. We did not hit the parlay, but we got lucky that it was even functional at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. So we got some, some gambling uh, anxiety. We did. Um, I got to the house around the fourth quarter. My first takeaway was, oh my God, this basketball court is the ugliest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's like blue with yellow. It was the Denver court. The only thing that distinguishes NBA regular season from NBA in-season tournament play is they make the court look terrible. Look, look like a Fortnite map. <laughs> they make it look uh, animated. Yeah. It was all blue. It's Yeah. Might as well just be holographic, like dancing uh, Pikachu's on the floor. <laughs> it's like, looks so, it's so hard to look it at. It's really hard to look at. Yeah. So we bet on the Clippers to win and James Harden was our muse. Yeah. He was our Kevin Garnett. Yeah. I was like, if James Harden can have a big game, we get paid. Um, James Harden had to go 20 or more points. Yeah. He did that. 
he had to have two or more threes. He did that as well. And he had to have six assists, and he ha- only had four. He only had four. But And then they, the Clippers had to win, right? The Clippers had to win, so and they also... It was a four-way, it was it was a four-way, four-way parlay. parlay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then they then they lost. And then they lost. But it was a close game. It uh, was a close game. So we were a few assists away from glory. We we bet... Uh, you bet 20 bucks on this game? Yeah, plus Dylan's on, five. Plus Dylan's five. Okay, cool. So he went in with us, and the payout was... Uh, it would have been yeah it would have been around 250 250 okay yeah. so like we got close yes. to winning 250 yes i don't do sports betting and uh this experience made me realize why i don't do it yeah you could feel the drug i could feel it yeah too much um and i could feel myself resisting it i think that's when i know i shouldn't be doing something is yeah. when i'm trying to like maintain yeah when you're trying to maintain composure and i'm just trying to talk about other stuff and i'm like oh you know like uh and by the way we would have donated this money to a good cause yeah. if we if we did that's win. correct but it still is exciting to think that you could win this really yeah. crazy bet. And so I'm trying to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, some other stuff happening in the news. And we're both like zoned in like, <laughs> did he get that assist? Come on, shoot it. It was <laughs> it's like he, he needed these two assists throughout the fourth quarter, basically yeah. the entire time that I watched it. And in my brain, I was like, all right, we are one assist away from being one assist away. I want to say that if we got to being one assist away, I would have been standing. Yeah, I would have gone from being sitting and being like basketball game. This is nice to like standing with like my hands on my hips. Me too. In my brain, I was like, how is he going to, how's he supposed to make good passes? The court's fucked. He can't see anything. (laughs) Of course he can't get six assists. The court is all blue. You were were blaming the court quite a bit (laughs) for our, (laughs) when you're locked into this gambling situation, you'll blame anything and everyone. Yeah. It's not James Harden's fault. It's the court's fault. It's, the coach won't put him in. Yes. Paul George can't make a fucking jump shot. Yeah. And that happens in the movie too. There's a part where uh, Doc Rivers, he, it, like Adam Sandler gets mad at Doc Rivers for mm-hmm. distracting Kevin Garnett and he doesn't make a shot. And it's yeah. like, it's a, the exact feeling where it's like, everybody's to blame except for yeah. you for making this bet. We had a moment where there were like <clears throat> 10 seconds left and you were like, oh, it's like kind of over. And I was like, no, they could go to overtime. Yeah. And then he can get the assists in overtime. Dude, I was like, dude, this is why I don't watch basketball anymore. <laughs> like I've gone through waves of liking sports and mostly watching basketball would be my sport and not even betting money on it. You know, being kind of like a Blazers fan for for a little while, like I, I just can't invests that much emotionally yeah and it is because, an emotional investment because, it, because it's like basketball is such a fourth quarter game in like the last five minutes it's like you're so invest even when there's no money on the line you're so invested in those five minutes like oh no okay if they inbound here or and then uh-huh. uh, he gets fouled if he shoots a three and he gets fouled that's four points and it's like he's not doing that dude like stop watching like the possibility of things that could happen is endless yeah and you're doing all of you're the doing accounting all the, live yeah and it's it's overwhelming. It's fun, but like you do have to carp like uh, you have to separate yourself from it. You do. You yeah. can't let that be your life. I think I think that's why I like the gambling in this movie. Based off other movies I've seen about gambling, is because I don't have to worry about um, his mentality. Right. Like I'm not invested in the game like he is. All I I get to see it from an outside perspective. I'm mm-hmm. like this guy's stupid. You know. Yeah. This guy's making crazy bets and none of it's going to pan out the way that he wants. I already know that. Right. You know, um, we had a, uh, it was a very satisfying ending to this game just because it was funny, 
Paul George had a three-pointer to tie the game. Maybe yeah. send it to overtime. Yeah. One of those things where you shoot it and then it gets stuck in between the rim and the backboard. <laughs> Which, like, never... It doesn't happen it, often It's at so all. rare yeah. and so embarrassing <laughs> that it, it, like, did a really good job of bringing me da- back down to earth of, like, oh, this is over and this is dumb. Yeah. And I'm dumb. <laughs> This is a game with a ball. It really reminds you that it's a game with a ball because yeah. it's like, it's like ball. something <laughs> because it's something that would happen to me if I was playing basketball. Yeah, it's like so I've humbling. done that before. Yeah. Like I've shoved the ball between the rim and the backboard. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot this is a game for children. Yeah, no. it, it is. <laughs> like it is one of those moments. Basketball so cool in the NBA. It's so smooth. Yeah. And this is such a non cool thing to happen. Yeah. That it really does sober you up very quickly. Mm-hmm. It does. It shows a lack of control <laughs> with the athletes and the ball that they're playing with. And it's like, You're oh, like, oh, this is what I put money on? This ball? <laughs> this, <laughs> this thing that can get stuck in this other thing? I thought this was a professional game, you know? I didn't realize we were on a schoolyard. Um, but, yeah, it was... Uh, I've talked about this movie so much, like not in podcasting that I don't mm-hmm. know what to say to, about it. I, I think you should just watch it if you haven't seen it. Yeah. And, um, it's good. I, you, you probably won't like it at first. Like you'll, you'll probably feel, yeah. you'll probably leave the movie feeling bad about yourself and about people in right. general, but I, I come think, back, I come back to it. Yeah. I think that speaks to how good the movie actually is. Yeah. I liked it better this time. And I just realized that like, Hey, this is more of a thriller mm-hmm. that's supposed to give you anxiety the whole time. And the first time I watched it, I didn't like that. And it's not that I didn't like the movie. It's that I didn't like how the movie made me feel. Yeah. And they did that on purpose. Um, so, you know, I don't want to watch it again because it makes me feel bad. But it is good. It's it's not a bad movie. It's captivating. Which is what I would have told you in 2019. If you asked me in 2019, I'd say, the Safdie brothers don't know shit about gambling. And this movie is a bad time. Um, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you kind of came around to yeah. it. I also see things from your perspective now where it is a bad movie from a gambler's perspective. Yes. So I understand how that, uh, how you, why you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd like to talk about like the very beginning of the story, uh, where he gets this precious gem from the, the opening scene is uh, a Walo, a mine in Walo, Ethiopia, where they mine for, red opals and black opals, precious gems, basically. And so that's the whole start of the movie is these two guys, uh, there's a there's an injury that happens. This guy's bone is sticking out from one yeah. of the miners. So there's like a big riot at the at the mines yeah. where everybody's riding against, um, you know, the owners of the mine, the the people running it. And so these guys sneak away and then they um, mm-hmm. they grab this, this right. precious black opal. An opal that they must have known was there, but they're like, why would we pull this out? And give it to our boss. Yeah. Let's wait for the right time mm-hmm. and we'll get it ourselves. Exactly. They're the most interesting characters. The They're f- the most likable characters in the movie. Yeah. It's, I would watch a whole movie just about these dudes. Agreed. Uh, they're the, they're the, they're the real hustlers because they yes. have, they have the biggest risk. They could not just lose their job. Like, I don't know, maybe get killed for, for this type what of What they act. do is what makes this a heist movie. Yeah. They pull off a heist. They pull off a heist. Yeah. And then they sell this Opal to America for a bunch of people to just be the worst human beings ever around yeah. it. And they 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 pay the Ethiopians way less than what the opal is actually worth, which is the reality of what mining is in a larger what capitalism is in a larger context. Yes. But the people taking the most risk get the least amount of money, and that's the reality. Right. Um it's which is kind of interesting. That's not really how gambling is supposed to work. 
Right. No. <laughs> I, and, and I think we like heist movies because it's like the people who do the labor and the job get the payoff. Yeah. It's a real labor rights uh, type of situation when someone pulls off a heist. Um, but this shows the the two sides of it. More the reality of a the re- heist. The reality. A real heist is you steal something that's, you know, worth a million dollars and you get paid 50 grand. And then somebody who is in contact with you makes even a bigger chunk of the pie and then someone else even makes a bigger. So the, the best hustlers skill wise are the poorest people, right? In this movie, in this movie, the people who have the most skill get the worst payoff. But I think in general too, I think in reality you have to be much more skilled. You have to be uh, constantly hustling if you have nothing basically. Right. Or like if that's, if that's the way you're going to go about making money in your life, if mm-hmm. you're going to be a hustler. Um, so we did a little bit of research on mining in Africa. Yeah. I think your stuff is more interesting. So I want to talk about the, the cobalt. Yeah. In Ethiopia, they're mining predominantly gold and opals are a product of that. And it only makes up 1% of their GDP. So it's not a huge factor in Ethiopia, but I looked into the Congo, uh, the democratic Republic of the Congo that, they have cobalt and copper mines and they are the majority of cobalt in the world. They're the biggest producers of it. And that's like what makes, uh, you know, EV batteries. I think it's cobalt, magnesium and lithium. Yeah. And it's like a hundred pounds of a combination of those three is what makes a Tesla battery. Okay. Gotcha. And the way that electric vehicles are, going to be taking over between now and what they predict like 2030, 2040. Right. Um, the people are trying to get in on the mining of these, these metals. Now. I mean, we've talked about it. You got a parking ticket for using a EV parking space. I did. California specifically is really pushing the EV market. And I think they give subsidies. Uh, they pay you they to do. buy these cars. Yeah, they do. Um, they really want electric cars to be the future. And I think if you initially hear that, you're like, okay, it's, uh, we're going away from fossil fuels, but we're not solving a problem. We're shifting to a new problem. Yeah. Because the, the consequence of, of mining for these minerals is like, you're destroying the environment in a different country, Mm -hmm. but it's like, okay, well it's in the Congo, it's in Africa, it's in Africa. So who cares, you know, in the EV world, Africa and Africans are expendable. Yeah. And their, their environment is expendable. Fossil fuels that ruins the globe for everybody. Yeah. And that includes white people. Yeah. (laughs) So that's fucked. Yeah. But if we uh, mine these minerals in Africa, that'll probably only destroy Africa. Yeah. And that's good. That that's good to them. Um, so yeah. The, and the mining of these minerals also, it does hurt. There's three things I think one, the people in those countries are not reaping the benefits no. of their minerals that they're, that they're exporting. No, maybe there are, uh, companies like, there are African companies, um, like in the Congo, African owned who, who are making money based off this, but it's just staying with the top, whatever, 1% of people. Right. That money doesn't trickle down into the, the rest of the people who actually like work in the, these mines. The labor is cheap and there's not enough accountability to have labor rights. 
And so it leads to child labor and just horrific working conditions. Yeah. So there's like official uh, employees of the mining companies. So people that are employed who and they say, okay, these are the people that are our miners, but there's also unofficial right. employees, which are kids and just right. poor people basically. Yeah. Um, and they do, if you're a kid or close to a kid and you live near one of these mines, you still make more money than you would if you were doing something else. Yeah. So the money is relatively good, but relative to how much your boss makes, it's atrocious. Yeah. So it's it's similar to the movie, basically, where yeah. it's just like the people taking the biggest risk and having to do the most work are obviously going to reap the fewest benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is some statistics from Ethiopia, which doesn't mine for cobalt, but... Mm-hmm. That's where the the movie was set. Uh, so part of part of the movie is that we see that there are uh, Asian like foremen basically who are being yelled at by the Ethiopians when there's like this injury. So I was like kind of wondering if they were purposely picked, um, purposely picked those people because maybe there are certain countries that are uh, doing more of the mining. Mm-hmm. Like so in. Ethiopia, China, South Africa, UK, US, and Canada are the top countries that have like international yeah, ability. Business, yeah. yeah, business basically. And then I think you were also saying um, China is like mining a lot for cobalt and the other minerals. Yeah. Um, they want more raw ma- material than anybody else because China is also, you know, creating these products. Lithium goes in an iPhone. Um, so America's invested in it, but we don't really have factories where people are creating products with the metal. Yeah. So it's a little bit more directly connected to Chinese business interests. Right. Yeah. And then it go and then these minerals are processed like in China where people there's more slave labor basically. Yeah. It goes slave labor to <laughs> so, pull it out of the ground yeah. and it's slave labor to make it into an iPhone. Yeah. And then I tweet, slave labor is bad on my iPhone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on, uh, on your- <laughs> That's the hierarchy of how we're dealing with this. Should we get into some news? Let's talk about it. Okay. What do you want to talk about first? Let's start with uh, Israel-Palestine first. I think that's the headline of, or should be the headline of news publications, including us. I agree. Um, one thing that I find despicable about CNN specifically and other news sources in that category are the way they're reporting on deaths. Um, because the hospitals and the infrastructure of Gaza have been destroyed in such a way, they can't accurately count how many people have died. And so the last, we're recording this on Wednesday, last Friday, so five days ago, was the last official number that Gaza published of deaths and it was over 11,000. Um, but they haven't been able to report another number since cause they just, they don't have ways to communicate and everything is too chaotic. But CNN wrote an article today about the 11,000 dead in Gaza. So that number is just frozen for this foreseeable future. 11,000 people died in Gaza. Yeah. And I find it so wrong. Isn't that terrible reporting too? Horrible. Yeah. What you're saying as CNN is no one in Gaza has died over the past five days. Yeah. I mean, if you're you're reporting on deaths, while you're saying the IDF is doing this and this and this. Right. But we're going to give you the figure 
that's stuck in time from so, back when they had the infrastructure to count deaths. So if they know, if they, if, if CNN is publishing articles saying that, that, uh, that they haven't, sorry, Palestine has not, it started raining. Sorry. <laughs> it started to rain. It's nice, but it's a little distracting. It's distracting. Um, but if, if they're reporting a couple of days earlier that Palestine has no way of reporting the current deaths, why are they still giving a number that's old? Like they should be pointing that out every time that there's an article that it's like, it's worth noting right. that there are still attacks This happening. is a figure from a week ago. Yeah. But they don't crazy. say that. When you're talking about thousands of deaths, it's uh, really bad reporting. But yeah. that, it's, it's, it's good for me to see things like this because I'm not... You know, like reading the news a lot is a new thing for me. So mm -hmm. you do get to see how inaccurate the news is yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, I'm, this, I'm, I'm the same way. I feel like my literacy has been heightened through this. And specifically this uh, war that is reported on so inconsistently. Um, you, you really see the hypocrisy and the lies that are coming through. I wanted to talk about the the way that they talk about the IDF too. I think ultimately you have to either I don't know I don't know how reporters are supposed to report on the IDF, but I think as a as a human you have to either trust the IDF or you have to realize that they're lying. Yes. To me there's it's black and white. Agreed. Um you have to either trust them or not trust them. Yes. So when they say things like we are raiding this hospital because we think Hamas top Hamas operatives are hiding there. And when they say that, you know, they're not killing civilians or that civilian casualties are a, a natural like result of Hamas using them as human shields. That's their, that's their argument, right? Yeah. Well, they're using them as human shields. So we have to kill them. You either have to trust that or you have to realize that they're lying. Yeah. I think the IDF has a long history of lying mm -hmm. about who they kill and and that's that's including the stuff that they say out loud that they're trying to cleanse Palestine. Like that's the thing is these lies are paired with being pretty transparent yeah. that they're just killing Palestinians and they're celebrating the killing of Palestinians. You brought up something to me. Um, Charlie mentioned the peaceful protests that happened about five years ago, where over two hundred um, Palestinians were shot by the IDF for just doing a, a, a peaceful, peaceful protest, a peaceful protest. Yeah. And there was footage of IDF soldiers shooting children mm -hmm. and they would film it with their camera yeah. through the scope, through the scope. Yeah. So it's like, <clears throat> we are celebrating the murder of these innocent people. It's pretty black and white. It's to me, it's black and white, but it seems the way that the news outlets report on it, they have to be like, well, you know, this is what the IDF claims. It's like, well, fuck what they're claiming. I mean, if, yeah. if, if an organization has this, this, track record. And so my problem is you compare that to the way they talk about Hamas, right? They'll be like, okay, so these, these guys are baby killers and rapists and all this shit. Right. And it's like, okay, so if you're going to report that every time that Hamas does something, then shouldn't you report on the way that the IDF does something? It's, it's, it's so easy to call Hamas evil, right? Mm -hmm. But then when the IDF is doing something, it's like, well, that's not an evil organization. Like they, they, they might have a good reason for what they're doing. So yeah. It's weird how it's, it's just a double standard, you know? It's a double standard. Yeah. Um, and my, my other point about it is that 
when when the news reports on what the IDF is, that the IDF is looking for Hamas operatives in the hospital, right? And they always say the same line. They'll be like, "However, civilians are bearing the brunt of these these invasions or whatever, right?" Yeah. Meaning, civilians are the people that are dying the most. Okay, so, so they keep saying that, like over the yeah. last month, like they keep saying that every time that there's an article. So you have to logically conclude a few things. Like one, uh, IDF is terrible with at what they do, right? They can't find these hostages. They can't kill Hamas. They're really bad as a military group. Right. Uh, two, they don't care about civilians and they'll just like shoot whoever mm-hmm. and they don't give a shit. Or third, that they're intentionally shooting yeah. civilians. At this point, if you are pro-Israel uh, and you support the IDF, then the logical conclusion is that you think they are horrible at their job. Yeah. That's if, the best case scenario. Best case scenario they're bad at what they do. is they're the worst functioning military ever. If they're killing this many civilians, they have to be, right? The more realistic and obvious answer is that they're killing civilians on purpose. That is their mission. Yeah. I don't know, dude. It's like, uh, you know, you're just at a certain point. It's you're blinding yourself on purpose so that you don't want to see that, I think. Right. Because to me, it's very clear that that's what's happening, um, especially if you know a little bit about that history. If you know, right. the history, like, for example, if you know about that protest we were talking about where they're shooting kids. Right. Right. And it's like, OK, well, this is the culture. You're, I'm not condemning the individuals in the army one by one. I'm saying that, like, that's the culture of this army. We have a super right wing Israeli government that's creating this force, this mm-hmm. idea force. Then it's like, OK, that's the that's what this military, that's what this terrorist group is. Yeah. Right? Right. Like, we say that about other terrorist groups. It's like, well, right. this is Al-Qaeda. I mean, they, they fucking, they 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 chop heads off. It's like, okay, well, they do too. Like, they snipe yeah. heads off kids. Right. <laughs> they do that all the time. <laughs> so, like, why are we trusting them in any capacity? Why should, I, same, why should same, I trust them? The same reason that uh, CNN wouldn't call Hamas and ask them what the news is, you can't ask the IDF what's happening. Yeah. And I, I think that is like a glaring discrepancy in how the news is reported. You, they shouldn't. They shouldn't be doing that. But, but, they, but, they, but they can is right. the problem. The yeah. problem is they do have, uh, what do you call it, Com- communication channels mm-hmm. to say this is what we're trying to do and this is what we're trying right. to do. And uh, yeah, I'm not defending Hamas, but I'm just saying that the, the Hamas wouldn't have the capability to communicate that right. to these news outlets. And right. so that's why, um, um, you know, both groups are violent. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and reporting on this continues to be difficult because over 50 journalists have been targeted and killed. And these hospitals that were kind of the epicenter of information in Gaza are also being targeted. And so the information continues to disintegrate. Why, why are those, why are the hospitals the centers of information? Is just because all of the energy, like they have fuel and they I, have I, like I, internet I, yeah. and stuff? Yeah, I think as resources uh, become such a commodity, the hospitals become kind of the nucleus of yeah. where energy and power are. And the main co- issue is death and destruction. And so everyone's going to a hospital. I mean, the hospitals are already... From week one of this conflict, they were at mass capacity for treating people. Yeah. And um, I think it's a plan by the Israeli government to do things like this. We said a couple weeks ago that they, the reason that they were bombing so much is, well, you said this is to create um, like a a war. 
yeah, you, what do you call it? Yeah, constructing a battlefield. Constructing a battlefield, right? For so this, the IDF to enter safely. Yeah, so this is part of constructing a battlefield if your plan is to wipe out yeah. Gazans. Yes. Which is their intention. They want to wipe out the civilians as well, in my opinion. So if that's the case, then everything that they've done is... The, the the reason that all this stuff is like focused on the hospitals and the refugee camps is because that's what they wanted in the first place. They've been destroying, you know, they've been disrupting the cell towers, right? They've like, they already had limited water and gas supply. So it's like, obviously everything's going to congeal into these specific spots. Everybody's injured. Yeah. Fucking everybody's like, doesn't have resources. So they're going to go, all the civilians are going to congeal together in refugee camps or the hospitals. And then now you're going to bomb the hospitals yeah. or like attack the hospitals. Um, I want to say one positive thing is uh, there, there have been protests in India, uh, pro-Palestinian protests. So in Kerala, which is in Southern India, there was a, an organization with the communist party of India and there were 50,000 people that attended. Um, so this is kind of in contrast to what I was talking about last week where Modi, who's like the prime minister, he's sending workers from India to replace Palestinians. Mm -hmm. um, Modi's super, he's a, you know, he's pro-Zionist, he's yeah. pro-Israel. So there, it shows that at least in the south of India, like there are people who um, are protesting this yeah. type of behavior. They protest Modi as well. Mm -hmm. um, and what was the quote? Um well, it doesn't matter what the quote is, but basically it's they they were admonishing uh, Modi for what he's been doing. So uh, it's just, I think I wanted to bring that up because India is also separated into many different groups, um, mm. not just politically, but also like Northern India, Southern India, right-wing groups, left-wing groups, super, super divided in terms of how they, how people view things. So mm -hmm. there are, there are people who support Palestine still in India, even if, the government itself right. is not supporting it. Right. <clears throat> and we, we certainly see that here in America as well. Yeah. Where our government does not support uh, Palestine. Yeah. But a lot of our, our citizens do. A lot of people do. Um, Jewish Americans included and Israeli Americans, et cetera, all that stuff. So there's people everywhere who are asking for a ceasefire, but yeah, governments are not listening basically. Right. Um, I watched a, can I say one other thing? Uh-huh. I watched a John Oliver episode. Okay. Because I'm like, well, we, we're doing political comedy now. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. We're stepping on his toes a little bit. We're kind of getting into that arena. Yeah. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was very funny. Um, no. And I thought I was going to learn more, but also his perspective on it, the show's perspective on it, I don't think was uh, as... I don't think they were as rough on as Israel as they could have been. They're yeah. still trying to play both sides. And I'm like, dude, I thought you guys were supposed to be... Um, I don't know, more left-wing and progressive. And it right. seems like they're still the news. They're not really, it's not really a comedy I remember show. I remember watching it in college and yeah. feeling like there were more jokes per minute and it did feel liberal to me. Yeah, it is. But, but, but maybe that's just a product of becoming rich and having a long-standing news show. He is now an institution. I think it's the news, dude. Like that's my problem with political comedy. It's they they wanna they want to disguise. They say it, he said it in the episode a couple of times. It's like I'm not the news, even though people think I am. It's like no, you are the news. Yeah, you're the news because you have to abide by all the same parameters as uh, Western media outlets. Yeah. So sorry, dude. You don't get to be a comedian if you're if HBO you, has been paying you for a decade. Yeah. So if are you we supposed to believe that you're radical? <laughs> 
Are we supposed to believe that HBO is like, okay, nobody but John. Yeah. John gets to say the truth, but nobody else. It's so weird. It's just, if you watch the, like, go watch that episode. It's on YouTube. You don't have to pay for it. Um, And you can kind of see what I'm talking about. Is it an Israel-Palestine episode? Yeah, mostly. I mean, they don't even talk about it for that long. They, they, I, I think that's the format of the show. They only talk about one subject for like the first half, but they focus on the governments of, uh, that are in control. So they, they talk about Hamas and they go into a deep dive of how, you know, they were elected, et cetera. And then they go into the Israeli government and talk about them. So it's not that it's a useless piece of information or anything, right. but I was just surprised. I thought it was going to yeah. be, I thought that they could skewer a little bit. It's not bit hard more. hitting. It's not hard hitting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're more hard hitting than John Oliver. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, uh, we're allowed to have a perspective because no, nobody, like, pays not, us. nobody pays us. Yeah. We are not paid by an institution so we can give you, we can tell you the truth. Yeah. So it's interesting how money or like at least our version of the truth. It's a privilege to be able to be honest yeah. about that. I mean, it means that we don't make money, <laughs> yeah. but it's, <clears throat> it is a privilege to be able to be honest about this war. Even it, if like we had other white collar jobs. Yeah. Even if we had jobs outside of entertainment, you don't really have the freedom to say whatever you want. No, you don't. There's always going to be consequences. Um, but luckily, you know, um, I, my job is I edit a podcast, not this one Yeah, for work. And if the bakery (laughs) fires me, I'll find another job. Yeah. (laughs) So we're, we're okay. We get to, because of that, we get to tell the truth and Uber probably won't fire me because they need you. They need me. They desperately need you. <laughs> People say weirder shit inside of an Uber, and it's fine than defending humanity. <laughs> than, the, than, the, than what we say on the podcast. When I say yeah. that white supremacy is the world's biggest issue, uh-huh. that's not the most radical thing that's said inside an Uber from the driver. No, no. Uber drivers have said much worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> while getting, while on the clock. <laughs> we got other news? Um, I think there was, you wanted to talk about the, uh, representative Brian Higgins stepping down. Oh yeah. There's a congressman in New York who has been in Congress for 19 years. Yeah. And he's like, look, this is my last, this is my last go of it. These people suck. Nothing gets done. I'm too impatient for this bullshit. I'm out. We are at a point of congressional dysfunction where congressmen are saying they're quitting this was maybe the most prestigious thing that i could have imagined as a child growing up yeah and now i have this position and it's a waste of time totally um it's said in the article that he wants to he's likely to accept a job with the prestigious buffalo buffalo new york Mm -hmm. buffalo shays performing arts center you know there's a problem with our government when um our (laughs) when our politicians are are uh, turning to art i'll just go work for the local theater no it's okay are you the the theater yeah no i'm just all like rip tickets He's just fuck it. He's an usher. No, I'll just yeah. I'll, I'm gonna serve the popcorn now. That'll be better for my community. He's an usher for like um, Buffalo's uh, off Broadway Rent perform. Like <laughs> <laughs> he just watches Rent for. Yeah, I did Congress for 19 years. It was cool. Kind of a waste of time. Now I just rip tickets. Yeah, we're gonna be doing a Christmas Carol next month. <laughs> um, I hope everybody shows up. <laughs> I just feel like I'm more impactful to my community when I'm here. <laughs> when I'm ripping tickets? Yeah. 
He's doing more at the theater. This just makes me feel better about my contribution to my society. That's, yeah, that's how you know it's getting bad. I don't know the name of these two uh, congressmen, but it was a few days ago. They like challenged each other to a fist fight on the floor. I saw that. And yeah. Bernie Sanders had to be like, no, no, <laughs> stop. Yeah, he had to call in his birds. <laughs> he had to call in a flock of birds to <laughs> separate them all. We don't, you know, people don't know that about Bernie, but he actually commands all birds. Yeah. Uh, we have evidence of this, mm-hmm. at least in one capacity, but he, he can do any bird. He can do crows. He's a falcons. wizard. That's why he doesn't do policy, really. It's not what he does. He's He does more like magic stuff. He does, yeah. He's... <laughs> He's more like, he's like flying. He's kind of like a witch. He like flies around on his broom and (laughs) (laughs) he like, you know, if there's like a rat problem, he like knows how to play a flute and he can get them all to fall off a cliff. Mm -hmm. All the, all the rats in the New York subway. It's why his 50 years uh, of being in politics has never resulted in one law. No, one law, not no policy change coming from Bernie. He's busy. He's commanding, not calling for a ceasefire, but he's busy commanding the birds. He's in the woods a lot of times. (laughs) People don't know that about him. That's why his hair's all so fucked up. He's the birds. He's always in the woods. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So we have this guy stepping down. Um, What's his name? Who's the drag queen guy? George Santos. George Santos is still holding strong. He's yeah, George in, Santos has actually offered to take over his position too. He's like, I'll do, I'll do both. I'll do both. Yeah, <laughs> I'll use my drag persona. I'll be to, a. Ra- I'll be <laughs> <laughs> his drag persona is just Brian Higgins. <laughs> He's like, I'm Brian Higgins. <laughs> I love the new Brian Higgins. <laughs> he's way better. He's way more fashionable. <laughs> um, yeah. So George Santos is still a. New, he's a New York representative. He is a New York representative. Who's still holding strong. Yeah. And yeah. they and they want him in there as the Republicans are holding on to such a narrow majority that even though George Santos is a fraud in every respect. He's a vote. He's a vote. Yeah, a vote's a vote. But we lost uh, Brian Higgins. I don't really know much about this guy. Maybe he sucks in a lot of ways too. I sure, mean, maybe I, he was a bum. As we've seen from all of everybody in Congress during uh, the genocide in Palestine, they all suck anyway. So maybe yeah, it doesn't I don't matter. know specifically if this is like what has caused him. <clears throat> no, he, I don't he, think it he is. He did not call for a ceasefire. So it's not yeah. like he is standing up for some morality and then leaving. I think it's more just general dysfunction, dude. Yeah. And, uh, weak, uh, congressional ability. Yeah, dude. It's like, um, arguments about the debt ceiling. I pr- I'm sure are part of it. Um, you got, he's got to listen to I, some guy who doesn't believe in condoms. Yeah. <laughs> who is demanding <laughs> for a racist budget. Yeah. Racist budget. Yeah. Can we pass my racist budget? <laughs> <laughs> Also, I'm not wearing condoms. <laughs> That's not part of the bill. I just want to tell everybody I don't wear them. And I haven't had a bank account for maybe five years because I'm I'm above that. Yeah. It's not a corruption thing. I just, you know, I don't really need money, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> just don't need it. <laughs> not really for me. And I'm not really a money guy. I'm not a money guy. <laughs> not a numbers guy or a money guy. <laughs> anyway, all in favor of this racist budget. <laughs> Uh, gets passed immediately. Donald Trump Jr. said a funny thing that sounded like that. Um, all these Trumps are on trial for fraud in New York. 
And one of the things that Trump Jr. said was like, I'm not an accountant. Like, that's an accounting question. I'm not, I don't know about accounting. I'm a businessman. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah, good. I would do business. I thought I thought accounting was a crucial part of nope. business. We have accountants. Capacity. Yeah, we have accounts to handle all yeah. of that. We have accountants who handle the money and the numbers, <laughs> and then I handle the business. I wish I could do that with stuff in my life, you know? Like when people, like if I get into a car accident and I'm like, listen, I'm not a mechanic, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I just rear-ended you, okay, buddy? <laughs> I don't You're know how this car works. I'm not a professional driver. I'm not a professional driver. All right. Okay. I'm a comedian. Yeah. I'm a comedian. You know how mad I'd be if someone rear-ended me and they brought up <laughs> that they were a they comedian? Were comedian? <laughs> <laughs> They're just trying to make jokes. They're trying to riff the whole time. They're like, oh, this is crazy, man. The weather's traffic's crazy in this whole I-10 situation. <sighs> I got a show tonight. I know what I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Me crashing this. into your car. <laughs> <laughs> You see it on YouTube, then it blows up on TikTok. So, so I crashed into this guy today. So this guy crashed into me. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting so many likes. Would you believe it? Yeah. And I said, hey, buddy, I'm a comedian. Yeah, I'm a comedian. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. <laughs> you can't hide from me. Um, cool, man. I think that's everything on my end. Unless you had anything else you want to talk about. No, I feel good. Cool. All right. We'll uh, we'll talk again next week. Yep. See you next week. Peace. Bye.